when I first started college, you know, I treated it like I did high school of like, I'm not, I don't do homework. If I didn't learn it in class, I'm not studying at home, like all this stuff. And, and my first real college class, you know, I was failing. And in, I finally sat down. I was like, where do I want to be in 10 years? Do I want to be like, have to switch my degree to something a little bit easier and just like, and then to be that guy that, you know, I'm at graduation, like, oh, you know, I started out as a mechanical engineer, but then went to this degree because I couldn't hack it. Or am I willing to make myself vulnerable enough to fail? But I know like 60 years old, like, nope, I gave it everything, even if it doesn't work out. You know, I knew like if I give an honest try, give everything and still fail, I'll be able to sleep at night. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guest is a five times CrossFit Games champion. He's a mechanical engineer, an author, an entrepreneur, and a jack of all trades. None other than the fittest man in history, Matt Frazier. Welcome to the show, man. Dude, thank you for having me. Must feel good to kind of hear some of those things that are uh, gently a part of your story. It's kind of funny hearing it. Like when you, when you just list it off very objectively like that, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess that. Nah, yeah, sure. You know, cause I, I think, I think a lot of people just assume, you know, you just get, get that resume just all at once. And, and for myself, you know, it, it's built up over time. So, you know, in the moment, nothing seems like this big accomplishment. It's these little tiny things every single day. And then, you know, you look 10 years, 10 years down the road, you look back and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, the last couple of years were good. You know, I accomplished a few things. That's what I love about what you're doing though, man. You're so good at progressions. And what I would describe as kind of narrowing the focus. You never look too big. You're like, what can I do today to move the needle in the right direction? Where did that mindset kind of kind of begin and start to foster in your brain? Um, you know, I think it came from years of... Uh, you know, I always had had a, a decent decent weightlifting career before I started CrossFit, and you know, I didn't have any life lessons or life experience um, during that. You know, I I moved out to the training center when I was eighteen, and you know, so I was young, full of piss and vinegar, and you know, very caught up in the I want instant gratification, I want the results right now, and and it wasn't until I left weightlifting that I was able to see the mistakes I made. You know, some something as simple as um, as a seventy seven kilo lifter, I was the top ranked junior in the country, and I knew I should move up a weight class. I knew I should move up to the eighty fives, maybe even the ninety fours, but I knew if I did that for a little while, I would be irrelevant. I wouldn't be ranked. I wouldn't be good. You know, it would take a long time to grow into that new body weight, and so I just refused to gain the weight. You know, I restricted my my intake, and you know it was a hindrance, you know, and it led to me getting injured and, you know, it it was tough. And once my weightlifting career was done, I realized, man, why didn't I take a step backwards? Why didn't I take that one step backwards, allow my body to grow to the size that it wanted to? And then I would have better results. They would, they would be, they would, A, they'd be better, B, they'd be more sustainable. And, and my numbers would eventually go up. And so once, once I started, you know, training, CrossFit with the intent of competing, I wasn't going to make that same mistake again. And so it was always, all right, you know, is there an opportunity to take a step backwards, learn the proper technique and then grow into it or, you know, anything like that. All right, where do I want to be in one year? 
And, you know, if you say, say I wanted to try to clean 400 pounds, well, I'm not just going to load up 400 and take a whack at it every day. It's like, no, all right, let's take a step backwards. Where's my bottleneck? Where's the weakness? Where do I need to improve? Um, and then I just slowly started applying that to everything, you know, whether it was, you know, school training relationships, um, you know, it's kind of the same as like being stuck in a relationship that, you know, isn't going to work. And it's like, all right, what I should do is take a step backwards, you know, end the relationship, be okay with being single for a while until you find the right person. I love that you said that because there's so much mindset to unpack right there in the sense of the relationship with yourself. And you have done such a great job in retrospect. You know, at that time, you didn't know what you didn't know. And what's interesting is that, you know, you look at the concept of identity and the guy that was a 77 kilo weightlifter is one guy. And the next guy that goes up in class actually needs to be a completely different guy. But if you're not willing and not ready to let go of that identity, you're kind of stuck in, in that, you know, loophole continuously. And you've talked about identity a lot. My identity when I was a weightlifter was like, I'm the top ranked 77. You know, I won junior nationals. I'm the top ranked on the junior world team. You know, I was, I was first or second. Um, but like, that was my identity. And I was like, if I move up a weight class and I drop down on the ranking list, what am I? And, you know, same thing. Like, I mean, especially when I stopped weightlifting, I went through a huge identity crisis. And it's kind of weird to say like, I was 21, 22 years old and I was going through an identity crisis. You know, that's, it's really, really difficult to deal with. And then, you know, the insecurities of not opening up to, you know, my friends and loved ones around me of like, yo, I'm having a really hard time dealing with this. I went from being the kid that, you know, the day I graduated high school, moving to the Olympic training center, anytime I came home from school or from like college breaks or whatever it was, my friends introduced me to new people. I was like, oh, Matt's going to the Olympics. He's going to go to the Olympics. And then once I finally just said, I'm done with this, I moved back into my childhood bedroom. You know, I'm, I've, all my friends are graduating college and I have like a handful of college credits. And now my Olympic dream is dead. And it's just like, who am I and what am I? What is my purpose? You know, and it, it was really, really tough. So luckily I had that experience so that when I retired from competing in CrossFit, I was like, okay, I'm not going to make the same mistakes again. I'm going to get some uh, some projects in play, and and I was very intent during CrossFit as well to not identify as you know the the guy that wins, you know, because I knew I was like, it's only a matter of time before I stop competing. I can't do this forever, and uh, and I knew like the next. I'm going to announce my retirement the next year. I'm going to go to the games and somebody else is going to get the title of fittest man in the world. And, and so I made sure I'm like, no, I'm, I'm comfortable in who I am, what I'm doing and made sure to make the right moves. Yeah, for sure. It's cool to see how that came full circle, right? Cause in some occasions people have that first experience of, you know, deconstruction of ego, not understanding identity, not understanding how to learn from those previous mistakes. And it was so, it's so cool to hear how you had that experience come full circle then in your CrossFit career. And now you were, you were set up to really enter the entrepreneurial space. And what I love about that is what we gently described offline, which is that quote pulled from Laird Hamilton, the famous big wave surfer, never allow your memories to be greater than your dreams. And Matt, it's so cool to see how you're tiptoeing into this entrepreneurial world with, you know, HWPO, Podium, 
And you know, I've heard recently too you're doing you're doing some real estate investments and doing some cool things outside of the fitness world, which that's super cool with regards to financial responsibility and really setting yourself up for success. Yeah, you know, I I I mean Sam and I sit down all the time and and before it was it was more on the calendar. You know, we'd finish the games, we'd go to we'd go up to my camp for usually about a week and and the, that whole week was just, we would just sit on the dock, you know, drink coffee. You know, we're usually up at 5 a.m., saunter down to the dock, watch the sunrise, you know, look, listen to the loons. And it was just incredibly peaceful, but we had no schedule. And some days we'd go down and we'd sit there in silence for five hours. You know, we just, we were just content. We were happy just looking at the scenery. And then other days we'd get into some really deep life talks and, you know, for most of the years, it was uh, talking about like, okay, like we just finished that whole season. Do we want to do it again? Because it's not just me, you know, Sammy's the full support system. And, uh, and then talking about where do we want to be? What, what do I want to do next year? What, where do we want to be in five years, 10 years? Where do we want to be when we're 70? You know, do we like stuff as simple as like, do we want do we want kids? Where do we want to live? What what do we want our careers to be? Like all these things, having these life talks. And, and so even when I was in the swings of my CrossFit career, we were still thinking about the future and, you know, planning for it. And what do we have to do today to set us up for what we want when we're 65? And, you know, some of the talks were super fun and they're dreaming and, you know, there, there's no limits to what we can fantasize about, but then others were tough of like, you know, being very blunt of like one day I'm not going to be competing and I'm going to have to start a career over. I'm going to have to start from ground zero. I'm going to have to go through the whole learning process of making mistakes and having a failure, you know, hitting roadblocks and, you know, there's going to be trials and tribulations and I'm excited for it. And I hope I have the, you know, the grit to, to, to push through and you know be successful. Trident Coffee is sponsoring this episode of the Invictus Mindset Podcast. My guys over at Trident taught me something really important this last year, that we are all a bundle of stories, both good and bad, and everything in between. At Trident, they're storytellers. All of their cold brews remind their customers that, that they are part of something bigger than themselves. They help create connections through symbology and storytelling that engage their customers on an emotional level, and this distinguishes them from other coffee brands. You can find Trident in Imperial Beach and in Coronado. They offer over 14-plus nitro cold brews along with dairy-free options. You can find the perfect brew and pair it with one of their treats from their keto bakery. All these options will allow you to support your health and fitness journey with Trident Coffee. They're more than just a coffee company. You can check them out over at tridentcoffee.com and use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Once again, that's tridentcoffee.com. Use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Take your coffee experience to the next level. Two important factors for us over at Invictus Mindset are true care and attention to detail. My friends over at RxMarkier have been bringing innovative fitness tools to the market 
since 2009. From their award-winning Evo speed ropes, to their amazing gymnastics grips, to their line of inflatable fitness equipment, they're constantly looking to problem-solve within the fitness industry. They're always allowing us to have our gear work for us rather than against us. Hop on over to RX Smart Gear and use discount code Invictus Mindset to shop their latest cutting edge gear. Have your gear work with you and not against you. Something I've been thinking about a lot is this concept around, do you have fitness or does fitness have you? And I think in some cases, people like fitness owns them where their whole life is encompassed by it and they don't use it as a tool to then motivate and inspire the rest of their life or have a gentle launching pad. And what's cool about your story is that you formulated connections. Your brain was evolving into, okay, well, you know, lots of supplement companies are sending things to the house, but I don't really know what's in all of them. And so, you know, I'm going, I'm just going to make my own. The Buttery Bros are super cool. I'm going to link with them. And you've done a great job surrounding yourself with really successful people at the right time. I mean, Matt O'Keefe is one of those people. I've been thankful to cross paths with him gently on the podcast. And I mean, you did it right. You knew you had a gentle skill set. You had a platform. You connected with amazing people. And then through childlike curiosity, sparked some really awesome conversation that led to the development of some cool business endeavors post-career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think a very important thing to point out you know, for anyone, anyone listening or that like anyone that, you know, is, uh, looking at starting that process. Um, you know, I, I look now over, like I've been retired from competing for two years now and looking back over, over what, what has happened. And yeah, you know, like the resume looks pretty good. You know, we have, we have HWPO and it's growing, it's thriving, uh, podium it's growing, it's thriving, it's doing really well. Um, my real estate investments, you know, they're, self-sustaining they're doing great all these things they're doing great but it wasn't always that it wasn't always clear sailing you know there were bumps they were you know uh whether you know whether they were self-inflicted or somebody else trying to derail us or whatever we're doing it wasn't always you know this just oh i decided to launch a company and there it is you know oh i decided Mm -hmm. to do this and it was nice and smooth um but it's in those moments where you're hopeless where you're like, I don't know how to get out of this situation. And then it's just like, okay, well, all I can do is point myself in one direction and start. And it may not even be the right direction. I may not be doing the right steps, but I'll figure it out soon enough. And then boom, oh, okay, that wasn't right. Now I'll have to back up and start over and go this way and see if this one has, uh, you know, a clear path. But yeah, you know, it's, I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, I have, I have great people around me. You know, I've, I've said for years, you know, I'm never impressed by how many friends somebody has. I'm impressed by how many friends somebody's had for a long time. And, uh, you know, when, when you meet somebody new and they introduce you to their best friend, like, oh man, you know, I'm 45 now. We met when we were 16. I'm like, wow, good for you. You know, like that's really impressive to me. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very honored. It's a big sense of pride for me through my CrossFit career that every year after I won, I have the same picture. It's Sammy on my left, O'Keefe on my right. I have the gold medal around my neck and we're all hugging. You know, it's the same picture every single year. And I take that as a great sense of pride when we launched HWPO. Before we launched, um, you know, I pulled O'Keefe outside. And I was like, hey, how much? 
And he was like, how much what? I was like, how much do you need to justify quitting the job that you're running now and that you're very successful in? How much do you need to come work work for us full time? And, you know, it was kind of like a ha-ha, very funny. And then it took over a year to like kind of, you know, get all the ducks in a row and get it secure enough for him to justify it. But, um, you know, I, I know the people that, that I love and I'm loyal to and that, that I know they work their fucking ass off. And I'm like, no, I want you on this journey with me. <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. O'Keefe is such a good dude. He said something on our episode that I think everybody should hear one more time. And that is just do the next right thing. And I think that that is such a phenomenal message because as you mentioned, occasionally there are bumps in the road. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. And it's really easy to do things the right way when you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you see you know, the microwave effect. I'm going to get my results fast and that's what it looks like. I can feel yeah. it now. But when you can't see it and you failed and failed and failed, if you can narrow your focus to just do the next right thing as you've talked about rigorously around those rowing intervals, around some of those things in the basement at your parents' home that those things were getting, weren't getting broadcast in on a social media post with likes and pats on the back. Like the, that was the secret sauce behind the scenes that was, you know, allowing you to express your fitness at a high level. And will you talk about that a little bit? Some of the things that you've done in your career you know, maybe it started in, in the weight room there at the Olympic Training Center, but some of the things that you've done with regards to your mindset that it's not sexy, but it works. Yeah. Um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with just do the right thing. Um, so, I mean, like you always hear, you know, you become a summation of the people you surround yourself with. Like, If mm -hmm. you have four broke friends, you'll become the fifth. If you have four friends that are all entrepreneurs, your barrier of entry is going to be much lower because you have resources of people to ask. And I'm very, very lucky that I've gotten to meet some people that have been incredibly successful, but they're also great people. And I think that's a huge reason why they're successful. And so, you know, I have a couple friends, you know, O'Keefe being one of them, um, buddy, my buddy Todd, uh, I have another buddy, Evan, that like they're, they're involved in these companies that are wildly successful. And I'll use them as sounding boards. You know, we'll go months without talking. And then, the, you know, I'll, I'll be in a tough situation and I'll, I'll just text them. And I'm like, what would you do here? Or like, how do you deal? Like, have you ever been in this situation? How would you deal with it? What would you do differently? And all three of them have the exact same responses. Do what's right. You know, it may not be best for you. It may not be best for public image, whatever it is. It may not be easy but you know what the right move is. And the perfect example is, so the way I met O'Keefe was he started the clothing brand called Redline Gear. And he had a t-shirt press and a baking oven in his basement and he printed t-shirts out of his basement. And and so obviously we, we met back in 2013 or 2014 and I started working with him. He sponsored me. He had me exclusively head to toe Redline Gear. And then I went to the games. I had some some good results. And then some of the big sponsors started knocking, you know, the Nikes, the Reeboks, all that. And and my initial response to those big brands was, sorry, I'm I'm already signed and I'm in like a two-year or four-year deal with with Redline Gear. And uh and O'Keefe, like I, I got I think I got an offer from Nike and Reebok. And they're always like O'Keefe's brand was uh like kind of local to the Northeast uh, CrossFit community. 
and and the pay was you know relative to a company that was run out of his house and and he saw the contracts that were coming in and he just said he's like hey i can't stand in the way of this like legally and like i have a right to your clothing deal for the next four years but i can't justify holding back this opportunity from you so he's like if you want to sign with one of those companies we will void our contract and and he encouraged it he was like this is you know money that you can live off of and it's going to set you up for your future. And so from a business deal from him, he struck gold. He picked me out needle out of the haystack early on when my, like I didn't have the results to justify a Nike contract. And then he took a gamble on me, signed a three, four year deal with me. And it was great for his company. I was the poster child, the red line gear. And then as soon as something else came in, that it's a huge hindrance to his company, his business, well-being, all this stuff. And he was just like, nope, we'll void the contract. I'm not going to hold you back. And that that was the day that like, I was like, O'Keefe has my trust. I will follow him blindly if that's what is needed. Because I was like, he, not only did he have nothing to gain by doing that, but it was a hindrance to him. And, and so I, I have those resources and people that I trust in my life. Um, and, you know, that never got broadcasted. It was like, you know, that's what I love, though, about podcasting and amazing conversation is everybody has a story we know nothing about. And I've never heard that story in the depth and analysis as you just described it. So, I mean, for all our listeners, I'm a huge shout out to Matt O'Keefe, the chief. I mean, there's a reason why he's rubbing elbows with a lot of the, the greatest within the CrossFit yeah. realm. It's very, very cool, man. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like the non-sexy stuff, you know, um, like, you know, like the whole mantra of like hard work pays off, uh, you know, that, that started for me in college. You know, I, um, when I first started college, you know, I treated it like I did high school of like, I'm not, I don't do homework. If I didn't learn it in class, I'm not studying at home, like all this stuff. And, and my first real college class, you know, I was failing and in, I finally sat down and was like, where do I want to be in 10 years? Do I want to be like, have to switch my degree to something a little bit easier and just like, and then to be that guy that, you know, I'm at graduation, like, Oh, you know, I started out as a mechanical engineer, but then went to this degree cause I couldn't hack it. Or am I willing to make myself vulnerable enough to fail? But I know like 60 years old, like, Nope, I gave it everything. Even if it doesn't work out, you know, I knew like if I give an honest try, give everything and still fail, I'll be able to sleep at night. For sure. You had that peace of mind knowing that if you did your absolute best, that was either going to be good enough or as you mentioned, the self-satisfaction knowing that you gave your full effort. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know, it became a thing. Every Saturday, Sunday, I would go in, go into the school once campus, you know, once there was no classes and either sit in the third floor of the library, which was the silent floor, um, or I'd find an empty classroom and just lock the door. I'd leave my phone down in the car. You know, every three hours I would take a break and walk down to the car, you know, call a friend or answer text, whatever. But I would sit in there with no distractions. And I remember the, the first class I did it with was thermodynamics. It's a really, it's a tough class and the university uses it as a weed out class, like make this incredibly hard so that the kids aren't wasting the next three years and deciding they don't want to do engineering. They're finding out their freshman year that, nope, this isn't for me. And, uh, and there was the most valuable lesson I learned 
in college was I learned how to learn. And I would sit in lecture and I would listen to lecture and like any word the professor said that I didn't understand or didn't, you know, have know the full meaning of it, I would jot it down, look it up, and then and then reread the chapter. I would do that in the library, in class. I would just sit there, read the chapter, and like and and highlight like what in this don't I know? And then I would look up each one of those things individually and then go back and reread the chapter. And basically just leaving no stone unturned, not even just doing the homework assignments. I'm doing every problem that in the book that's available. But such diligence within your craft. And it just goes back to that famous James Clear quote. We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And you really adapted your systems to meet what your perceived goals were. And so there's so many parallels to what I did in college versus what I did in CrossFit. You know, there were, say, a hundred things that I practiced in CrossFit, these little unique things, you know, whether they're party tricks, really high skill things, strong things that I'm like, there's a one in a thousand chance that this is going to show up. But in the in the one time that it does, I'm more prepared than the next guy. It was the same thing with uh, with school. You know, I'm not just doing the homework assignment problems. I'm doing every problem. And yeah, most likely it's only going to be the stuff that the teacher assigned that shows up on the exam, but there's going to be that one in a hundred that it's a problem that, you know, the teacher was like, all right, you know, I did all these problems on the homework assignment. I'm going to put these ones on the exam. And I'm like, oh, sweet. I already did all of them. I already know how to do these. Um, so, you know, it's something as simple as like for, um, like in CrossFit, I've, I've been practicing freestanding handstand pushups and triple unders since day one, you know, it's like, what can be created that is going to, is justifiable to have in the programming, but it's going to throw people for a loop. And I was just constantly thinking of these problems of what can I practice to put me one step ahead? So, you know, it's things as simple as, all right, we use a hundred, 150 pound D ball. Well, I'm going to get a 200 pounder. I'm not going to use it every day, but I'm going to practice it and make sure I'm ahead of the curve. Triple unders, freestanding handstand push-ups, uh, strict muscle-ups, strict pull-ups, you know, all these things that, yeah, they had never shown up, but it's only a matter of time before they do. And just making sure that I'm staying ahead of the curve and leaving no stone unturned. I'm always thinking, what if, what if, what if, and then and then practicing. That's so cool. Your preparation is such an inspiration. Where was this mentality kind of groomed? What was it like in your early life you know, with your mom being a doctor, did she instill some of these values in you when you were young or did you kind of learn them in the school of hard knocks through some peaks and valleys? I think, I think a bit of both, you know, early on, like when, when I was weightlifting, it was all about instant gratification. You know, I wanted to load the bar as heavy as I could and just knock out reps. Um, and then, um, you know, but like growing up, my parents, my parents' styles of work ethic were v- drastically different. You know, so growing up, uh, I saw from my mom that the job was done when the job's done. The job's not done just at six o'clock. Um, and, and like on Saturday, she's not getting paid to work on Saturday. She's not getting paid to work on Sunday. Um, but she would sit at the dining room table and it was just paperwork everywhere. And she would be doing her dictations or whatever it was, uh, balancing bank, but what she would just sit there silently. She would have a cup of tea. And she'd be there until the job was done. It's not always the most enjoyable, but then she was more prepared on Monday when she showed up and she had everything done. She's not having to play catch up as soon as the clock starts. 
Um, and I remember my dad telling me stories when my mom was in medical school, my dad, uh, coached figure skating and pump gas on the midnight shift to, you know, help put my mom through medical school. And he, he would joke of like, you know, I would, I would leave for the rink at, you know, 5am, whatever it was. And your mom would be at the end of the dining room table, um, with a cup of tea and all her books from medical school. And he was like, I would come back 12 hours later and she'd be in the exact same spot. And, you know, so I grew up with the stories of that. I grew up seeing that. Um, but you know, it wasn't until later once, uh, you know, you know, when, when I was in college and I'm not just running off emotion. Um, and I was like, Oh, I want, I'm failing this class and I want to make sure I pass it. What do I have to do? Well, I reverted to the example that I saw and that was, I'm going to take my textbook. I'm going to have no distractions. I'm going to find an empty classroom. I'm going to sit there until I know this fucking information. I want to know all these formulas. I want to know all these laws, like the back of my hand and, um, and get a true understanding of them, not just memorize them for long enough to take the test, but I want to have a true understanding of it. I love that you said that. There's this deep quote that you've talked about before in other talks that you've given, which is do what you have to do before doing what you want to do. Yeah. And I think that's cool that you learned through examples from your mom studying for medical school. But then to take the step even further, you look at our generalized education system and it's designed to memorize so that way you can be validated based on the score from the exam. Yeah. And I love that you recognize that took personal accountability and realized, I'm not just going to memorize. I'm going to have a deep understanding of this so I can actually apply it when I need to later on. A lot of that came from my math background. You know, uh, I remember when I, I took calculus um, my first semester in college and the teacher, you know, and we hated him. Oh, he was a prick. But, <laughs> but he did not allow calculators in his class. He was no calculators on homework, no calculators on exams, nothing. And we're like, we're like, you dick, like, let us just, our TI 83s do all of the stuff. We can cut our workload in a 10th, you know, just boom, sign X, boom. Now we have the answer. And, you know, years later, once I was like taking engineering courses, I was like, thank God that man didn't allow us to use calculators because it forced us to learn the information, not just know what keys to punch or know where to look up the information. Um, what, what, ah, God, I remember, I forget which like philosopher it was, but when books started becoming a normal thing, he, he put out a quote of like, I'm concerned about people's memory now that there's books and this information is written down because you'll never actually learn it. You just know where to go find, find the information. And it was because of that calculus teacher in the min, in the moment, every student hated him. There was like 220 kids in class and we all hated this professor and now, you know, I'm 15 years later and I'm like, wow, thank you for that guy. You know, like we all hated you. I probably like, I, I couldn't even pick him out of lineup, but I know my feelings towards him still, but I'm thankful. I'm like, man, thank you for doing that. Like you forced us to actually learn it. So then senior year of engineering, I'm not having to think like, oh, what's sign? Uh, like, what is it? And so, oh, it's opposite over hypotenuse. You know, like I just, that's ingrained. I'll remember that until the day I die. So Katoa. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love this, man, because it's the courage to be disliked. Sometimes in the moment, you're going to be hated for striving to do the right thing. And when you lead that into coaching, it's like, I'm sure you're getting Mal O'Brien and Jason Hopper and Jake Marconi doing things that they don't want to do, where occasionally they're like, 
the hell? What's going on with Matt right now? Did he not sleep well last night? Or are him and Sammy not getting along? Why is he making us do this? Yeah. And it's yeah. it's it's comical, but it's also like, man, like that truly moves the needle in the right direction in many facets of life. Yeah. You know, it's a, it, it always comes back down to, um, you know, one, doing the right thing. Um, two, always, I try to always, always have the best intentions. Um, the thing that I need to work on and, you know, I've gotten in trouble with it before I've gotten in trouble with it recently, but not explaining myself, you know, making sure that, you know, the rhyme and reason for my actions is clearly explained because you can take the same quote and it has, you know, you put two different perspectives on it and it's like, one makes me look like, yeah, you're fantastic. You're an awesome person. The other one's like, wow, you're a total, total asshole, Mm -hmm. but it's the same quote. It's just what perspective do you put on it? And so, you know, trying in the right place, um, when the timing's right, you know, making sure that you explain your actions so that, you know, people know that, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this for you. I'm trying to do this because I believe it's the right thing and not just barking orders and be like, no, because I said so. For sure. That's really cool. What I'm hearing there too is, uh, words are an approximation of what we mean and they can be misinterpreted. That's why text and email sometimes is misconstrued. It's like a version of hieroglyphics and we're trying to interpret tone and body language and maybe there's a past, present, or future association with what's communicated. And it's so fascinating that, you know, as an athlete, you have it almost like defaulted as unconscious competence within your application of action. But then as a coach, to be able to digest that and communicate it in a term that others will understand based on their story and their history is is such a, it's like a, you've unlocked a new level. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny that you bring that up, like, Text and emails, it's like I I try to exclusively exclusively use those to pass along information, you know, facts, statements, whatever it is. But the one thing I've gotten a lot more comfortable with is having very uncomfortable conversations. And I make sure that I have those either, you know, at very minimum a phone call. I prefer like FaceTime. I even prefer more in person. Um and and it's like, how do you even initiate a shitty conversation, especially with a friend? And, you know, O'Keefe and I, all the time, we have conversations that are tough and, um, or they're built up thinking that they're going to be a tough conversation. And as soon as you have it, you're like, oh, why did I wait three days to have that conversation? Why did I ruin three nights sleep tossing and turning on this? And, and you know, very easily with O'Keefe, it's just like, I'll call him and be like, Hey man, like, do you have time? And he's like, yeah, I'm free. I'm like, all right, I need to have a tough conversation. And he's like, lay it on me. You're like, there's, there's nothing that we can't work through. Um, because yeah, if you just send a text with like a tough thing that you need to talk about, certain tones are going to get associated with it. And rarely do they line up with what, what the tone is intended to be. Um, but just having those tough conversations and it's okay to have shitty conversations. It's okay to have a disagreement and having the conversation doesn't even mean that you're going to see eye to eye at the end of it. But, you know, I like to make sure I'm like, if I would rather someone dislike me for who I am and what I'm doing, than someone like me for me lying to them, you know, or, you know, have 
me just give them lip service and tell them what they want to hear and then walk away and be like, well, that didn't accomplish anything. You know, I just lied to the person to make them happy. And it's like, well, that's short lived. You know, that, that rooster is going to come home to roost. I love how straightforward you are too around the concept of just creating a safe space around, hey, I need to have an uncomfortable conversation with you. And, you know, you're not beating around the bush. You're not being passive aggressive. You're being very straightforward. And, you know, being in San Diego, we, we cross paths a lot with the Navy SEAL community, which I know you've spent time with, with those guys, Evan Hafer and those guys with some cool, cool adventures. And, um, you know, they, all, they say often the most successful people are comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. And it, it's an art that, you know, people want to, to avoid those realms. I mean, you've seen the book circling the comfort crisis, you know, and like CrossFit and, and a lot of your life has been associating yourself with discomfort and learning to, to be okay with it and practice the art of enduring. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, it comes with practice. You know, you have, you start, you know, usually your first uncomfortable conversation is somebody like, you know, your significant other or your parents. And, and it, it's easy to start there because you, you know, that like, there's a sense of security of, even if this conversation goes poorly, you know, I'm still going to love them. They're still going to love me. We just may have a little bit of a tiff, you know? Um, and then that starts stemming into, all right, now let's have this conversation with a friend. Let's have this conversation with a stranger, you know? And I've had plenty of them. And 99% of the time you walk away and you're like, why did I build that up so much in my head? Like you just explain yourself and you're like, Hey, my intentions were good. I'm sorry if you, you know, perceived it this way, but these, this was my intention and I'll, I'll make sure to not make that mistake again, or I'll make sure to explain myself better next time or whatever it is. And, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, uh, here, like don't punch, don't punch your buddy in the nose, um, over a misunderstanding. And it's like, yeah, you know, things can happen. And it's like, uh, I'm trying to think how to explain this, but like, yeah, the, the same action. But like, if you, somebody cuts you off in traffic and it can be, yeah, they're a total dickhead or, oh, they didn't see the traffic cones and that traffic was merging into one lane. And they're two, they're the exact same end result, but it's two totally different situations of like, if that person flips you off or if that person gives you a wave, like, oh, sorry, didn't realize the lane was ending, you know? And it's the art of, uh, of perspective and really having empathy and compassion to know that, hey, if, if there's a reaction, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's something else that happened. Maybe they're in a hurry. Maybe they truly authentically didn't see it. And, you know, we're talking gently around having uncomfortable conversations with others. But I want to go backwards a little bit down memory lane where you made this commitment to try to pursue the Olympics in weightlifting. And you're at the Olympic Training Center, and then one day on a clean pull, you experience that low back injury. You know, what was that conversation like with yourself in the moment? And you know, knowing what you know now, how would you narrate that element of your story? Oh, man. Um, you know, so that, that, so I, I broke my L5 in two spots and they were actually on two separate occasions. So, uh, the first one, I think I was like four weeks out from junior worlds, you know, I'm hopping on a plane to Barcelona or no, um, Romania. And, and, uh, I, I want to say, I, I forget why all the other athletes in the gym were gone. Um, 
forget if it was the world championships or the Olympics or whatever it was, but, uh, you know, I was the only person in the gym, I think. And, you know, I did a clean pull, you know, pop one side of my back and, uh, and do you know those ice packs or heat packs that, you know, they're kind of the green gel and there's little metal click thing in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what my back felt like. It felt like I felt a big mm. pop, like that click and I could feel it spreading. I could feel everything locking up, just spreading oh, through man. my whole back. And I remember I did the clean pull, dropped the bar and I went and laid on the bench right behind. And I was just like, I don't know what happened, but something terrible just happened. And, uh, I think I even left my bar. I just, left and uh was laid up went down to sports med got some ice packs laid up for you know three days or so and uh you know i remember i remember telling my coach and he was like you know there's a difference between pain and injury and basically it was like hey it's, there's not enough time to call the alternate for for the junior world team you got to tough it through and you know and and looking at it from his perspective you know in the moment i'm livid i'm boiling at this guy he's looking at it as this kid's 18 years old it's his first time living away from home and he's and he's being a pussy you know like oh you had you know something tweaked and now you just want to you want to withdraw from junior worlds no this is the biggest competition of the year for you you need to tough it through and uh and so you know i did what i was told i got back to training and uh my last training session before Heading to the airport is heavy back squats to go down, hit the bottom of the hole. The other side goes exact same thing, exact same sensation, just on the other side. And I was hopeless, you know, and like, I didn't have anyone around me that was in my own age. I didn't have anyone around me giving me sympathy. It was, I didn't have anyone around me that had been through the same thing before. And so, you know, I just, toughed it up and found a weight belt laying around the weight room and went to Romania, cinched up the weight belt. And I remember the team coach, Danny Camargo, and he, I had never worked with him before. And he's like, Hey, what, what are your goals for this competition? I was like, my goal is to not bomb out. You know, I don't care if I go two for six, I just don't want to bomb out. And he's like, okay, cool. And so we, we made that happen. I made one snatch out of three. I made one cleaning jerk out of three. I finished second to last the winner of the competition snatched a kilo more than my clean and jerk. It was the most humbling experience possible, but then getting back, it was months of hopelessness. They put me in a full torso brace that went from nipple to hip. It drove me insane because my lats hung over the top of it. Like the brace came to here. My lats hung over the top. Every time I would sit in a chair, it would pinch, pinch, pinch. And it was like water torture. It was this slow thing that over months, it drove me insane and it drove me into the darkest depression. Um, And it was only because I had nothing else. I didn't have school to fall back on. I didn't have like a relationship to fall back on. I didn't have other goals. Like I was, I was like, it's either I focus on this or nothing. And I didn't know what to do with nothing. And so I just put my nose down and kept grinding. And then, after the four months in this torso brace where I can't train, can't do anything, I get told that cast did nothing. You still need surgery. And it's like, oh, no. I remember I was supposed to have the torso brace on for three months going for my checkup. And they're like, it's done nothing. We need to keep you in it for another month. And I'm like, like I had a party plan that night, like celebration of getting out of this brace. And I come home with drastically different news of, no, you're in it for another month. And 
And then the coach at the time, you know, he resigned. So now I don't even have a coach that knows me. And I remember having to tell the, the interim coach, like that I, I, my back's not healed. I still need surgery, all this stuff. He doesn't know me. He doesn't have a relationship with me. And so he's just kind of like patting me on the back. Cause he thinks that's the right move. And I'm sitting there crying my eyes out. It was terrible. It was hopeless. I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. Um, and, and so now I look back, I remember I've like having injuries during CrossFit. I look back and I'm like, Oh, my knee hurts. Whoop do fucking do? I, I broke my back and I was, I remember that hopelessness. And I'm like, dude, if I got through that, I'll get through this. And still, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get through. It. I don't know if, if I'm going to get through it, but I'm like, I know I'm capable of it. I know I'm able to come out of this darkness and still thrive. I know if I give it enough time, I'll have a different perspective on this. I know if I give it enough time, I'll find a silver lining, you know, breaking my back. It was the beginning of the end of my weightlifting career. Like I made a full recovery, but it was because of that back injury that I lost the love for the sport. And, you know, a year after that surgery, I'm cursing it. I'm like, I can't believe it like that. It was the, the seed that started this growth of resentment for me in that sport. Well, five years later, I'm like, thank God I retired from weightlifting. Thank God I had that injury because if, if I had, if I had made the Olympics, I would have never started CrossFit. I would have felt accomplished in my sports life. And I would have focused on school, gotten a nine to five job and been content. But because I wasn't satisfied in that way of career, I started CrossFit and I still had that competitive edge. And so I'm like, thank God I broke my back and had all that experience and these trials and tribulations because it made me hungry for to have another sports career. It's so cool to hear you tell this story because it helps helps myself and listeners really understand the depth at which you've overcome adversity and how on the other side of suffering is usually something pretty miraculous, but it's so hard to know that in the moment. Yeah. And I, I think that the easiest example that the most people can relate to is if you're happily married, odds are your, your significant other isn't the first person that you dated or the first person that you fell in love with. And so for myself, you know, I, I went through a couple of breakups that I'm like, I will never find someone again. Like I got dumped and I'm like, I'm hopeless. Like that was the one I'm never going to. And now I look back, I'm like, thank God that person dumped me. Thank God I was in that relationship that I wasn't happy in because now not only do I know what I want in a relationship, but I know what I don't want. And, and every day, like, I'm so thankful that I found Sammy. But if that other relationship had been just, just good enough that I didn't get dumped or whatever it was, I would have never been single. I would have never dated Sammy. Um, and so I think that's the easiest one to look at of like, yeah, everyone's had their heart broken at some point. And once, once you find that, that person that's right for you, once you're married and you have a life and you're like, oh, wow, thank God that person dumped me five years ago. Cause I would have never found this person, you know? Yeah, and, that's a great analogy. And, and so for me, it was the same thing. Same thing with schools, the same thing with sports, the same thing with jobs. You know, like I've worked some jobs that I was so miserable in every day. My eyes would open it. You know, the one job, there, there were shifts that we would start at 4 a.m. So we had to wake up at 3 a.m. Oh, gosh. And, and I, my eyes would open and audibly I'd be like, fuck, this is my <laughs> life. And, and so that, Thank God that happened because that pushed me into CrossFit because I realized that job is always going to be there. Like 
Digging ditches is always going to be an option. Using my body in a sports career, this has this timestamp on it. So just push my chips in on CrossFit. I remember like I worked a desk job where I had to wear slacks, a button down and a tie, I had ID badge. I could not have been more miserable. Every day, audibly, the first thought when I woke up was, oh my fucking God, this is my life. This is real. This isn't a nightmare. And and it was that year that I went to the games in 2014. And I realized like, okay, I'm I'm going in on this CrossFit thing. Like the desk job will always be there. Like it's always an option. But I'm going to try this thing. And if I fail, I can always revert back to this. So I'm going to take a gamble because I'm young, I'm single. I can take, I can roll the dice here. Yeah, for sure. And also I've heard you tell that story when you had that job, trying to fit a collared shirt to fit your weightlifting neck didn't work out yeah. too well. <laughs> yeah. Finding, finding slacks that fit my, my quads and ass, finding a shirt that fit around my neck. Oh, <laughs> it was miserable. And like, I was like the company, the company built rockets and missiles. I'm like, this is sick. And then you quickly find out that like, oh, when you're building missiles for the government, there's a lot of paperwork involved. And I was like, I was like, I, I'm just reading contracts. I'm going through buy contracts and supply chain. Oh, it was so miserable. The job before that, I worked, uh, I worked out in the oil fields and, and we, uh, we had to kill all the vegetation around oil heads. So like you pull up in, in a 5,500 truck with like a couple, couple thousand gallons of water and you have to mix the chemicals and then you had a 300 foot hose that you'd have to start your, your 9.9 motor and you had to walk around and it was a 300 foot garden hose and you had to, you, you put dye, blue dye in these tanks so that when you sprayed it, you painted the field blue and you drag in a 300 foot garden hose for minimum 12 hours a day. And you go, oh my God, like this is brutal. And some fields you go in and you, you know, five minutes, you're done. Other fields, the oil companies, they're like, we want 10 hectares around like, so 10 square kilometers or, uh, is a hectare, no, hundred, hundred meters by hundred meters or, or square kilometer. Uh, it doesn't matter. Big space. And yeah, you had sure. to go in and you pull in and it's like five football fields worth. And you're like, I have to paint this whole thing blue. Oh this, man sucks. So a lot of your working career was really learning what you didn't want to do. And you're just yeah. acquiring tools in your toolbox along the way to get to yeah. do what you really want to do. Yeah. And, and realizing like, and then once you realize like, oh, it's, it's okay to quit a job. It's okay. Like it just because you quit doesn't mean it was a failure. Just because you got fired doesn't mean it was a failure. Um, you know, and it's like, all right, I got fired from that. Like, let me learn from it. Did I get fired because like I was so miserable at the job that I shouldn't go back and work in that field again? Or was I always late? Was I not in, engaged? You know, whatever it is. And it's like, you know, I looked at, you know, my 2014, 2015 season. It's equivalent to me. It was as equivalent as getting fired from a job. I didn't do good enough to, to get praised for or get rewarded for it. So I'm like, what did I do wrong? How can I better myself and do it again? Do it properly. I love the way you segued that into the 2014-2015 season because I have it here, but it, it, it's really cool that you reflected on that and you were specific to your habits and you were like, you know what? I hated that 2015 medal, but I was very happy that I had that to reflect on because had I won, I would have thought that all those bad habits and corner cutting and doing the wrong things with my diet, nutrition and sleep and recovery were okay. 
And it probably wouldn't have led to, to this amazing career that you did ultimately end up having. Will you reflect on that a little bit and how that pivotal moment in time really helped motivate and inspire the rest of your CrossFit career? Absolutely. You know, so after the 2015, 2014 games, you know, so 2014 medal, I was doing backflips. I was like, this is phenomenal. I went into the competition with no expectations. I didn't know what I was doing. I made some wild mistakes that even in the moment I was like, oh, oh, that was a fuck up. But <laughs> I had no, I had no experience. So why would I expect to be able to do everything correctly the first time? No, absolutely not. I'm going to make mistakes. And so I was doing backflips over that medal. You know, I wore, I was so proud of it. And then 2015 season, exact same results, second place again. And, and I went into a dark, dark place of like, you know, I, I didn't know if I wanted to do it again. I didn't know if I wanted to keep competing because it became a very real possibility to me that I can finish my career without ever standing on top of the podium. And that's a big, big hit to the pride, to the ego. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't feel like I'm being rewarded for an entire year's work to finish there. And, and then, so I probably took three or four months off after the 2015 games where I didn't go to the gym. I didn't know if I wanted to sign up again. And, and it really made me sit down just with a pen and paper and a spiral notebook, like, and jot down, why am I so upset about this? Because 2014, 2015 to somebody looking from the outside, they're identical. I got the exact same results, but the the emotions tied to either one are polar opposites. And, and I came to a couple conclusions. You know, I always just, I act like a three-year-old to myself and I'll make a statement and go, why? And then I'll dig deeper. Why? You know, like, why was I set up, upset about the 2015 season? Oh, I didn't get the results I didn't want. Well, why? Well, I didn't do everything right outside of the gym. Why? And it, and it was almost like a defense mechanism. You know, I prided myself that I was as good as I was while carrying these bad habits because I got a kick out of it when, when I would train with Katrin and her nutrition styled in, her mobility styled in, her sleep is styled in, her training styled in. And then I took, you know, I thought it was the sense of pride that like if I beat her in a workout, and then I immediately started eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's or I beat her in a workout. And then I stayed up until two in the morning watching Netflix. You know, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not even trying. I'm still beating you. Well, then the, the one year she, she won and I didn't. And, uh, and I was like, oh shit. All right. Well, I need to stop protecting my ego and giving myself this excuse or this out of, oh, you know, you got me in that workout, but hell, I stayed up till two in the morning last night. My diet is still, I still eat Chinese food every day. You know, like I still, I was giving myself these excuses to protect my pride and ego. But then I realized that the 2015 medal, it was so upsetting to me because it didn't reflect my potential. Um, I knew that whole season was cut corners of no, doing no mobility work. My sleep was shit. My diet was all, everything that could be bad was bad. Um, and so I just went, all right, I need to stick my neck out make myself vulnerable, do everything as perfectly as I can. But then there's still a possibility that I'm not going to get the results I want. And I need to be okay with that. I, and so I decided like, nope, if I take one year, which in the grand scheme of things is, you know, a blip, you know, it's such a small part of your life. It wasn't even a full year. It was one season. So, you know, more like eight months, I'm, I'm going to do eight months where I do 
every single thing perfectly. And, and if I still don't win, I'm going to be fine with it because there wasn't a single other thing I could do. Whereas in the 2015 season, I look back, I'm like, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? What was the final fork in the road that winning was no longer an option? You know, like in the last month of the games, if I went to bed at the proper time, would that been enough to allow me to win? Or if my diet, if I, what, what ice cream cone was the final fork in the road that stopped me from winning? And, and I just went, I'm not going to have any, what ifs I'm going to dedicate myself to this. And it's not, I'm, I'm going to finish the season, either go, all right, it either, I got the results I wanted or I didn't, but there's not going to be a single, what if. Yeah, for sure. No stone unturned seems to be a very common theme in your story that keeps coming up, which is, Mm -hmm. it's super cool to see and hear you talk about that. I'd like to take a moment to thank our friends over at Viore. They are bringing a new perspective on performance apparel. Their products are incredibly versatile and allow for freedom and flexibility in any arena. As humans, we are complex creatures, always on the move and always on the go. Allow Vuri to join you as you navigate the complexities of the human experience. Whether you are training, adventuring, lounging, traveling, or attending meetings, Viore has options to suit your active lifestyle. My personal favorites are the men's core short and their line of Ponto performance products, which are so incredibly soft. Check these guys out over at viore.com slash Invictus Mindset for 20% off your very first purchase and free shipping. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Invictus Mindset. For 20% off your very first purchase and free shipping. Everything they have is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. It's so freaking comfortable that you won't want to wear anything else. Breathing, movement, circulation, digestion. What do all these body functions have in common? Our muscles. There are over 600 muscles in the human body that are responsible for supporting our daily activities. That's why your muscle health is incredibly important. On this podcast, I always discuss seeking our peak expression and striving to maximize our human potential. And so I try to share with you the top products that I find on the market. My HMB is a clinically proven ingredient that has been shown to help build and maintain lean muscle mass increase strength, improve recovery, and enhance body composition. Learn more about your muscle health at myhmb.com slash Invictus. Once again, that's myhmb.com slash Invictus. Enhance your muscle health and enhance your life. When you were training at that time, you've you've now worked with some of the 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 masterminds within the CrossFit space, you know, at that time it was Ben Bergeron. You've worked a little bit with the Mayhem crew and Rich down there in Cookville. And then you've also crossed paths a little bit with Shane Orr and Tia and the Proving crew a little bit. And, you know, everywhere in your journey, it just seems like you're, you're gathering more tools for your toolbox and then taking all these wide array of arsenals and ingredients and then kind of making them your own and, you know, changing them by just 1% here and there. And, it's so cool to see, but does anything stand out in your mind from, you know, those early days working? We'll start with Ben Bergeron. You know, it's, 
tough to know where I picked certain things up because it, it's been a long, long journey. You know, I started competing in weightlifting when I was 12 years old. Um, so, you know, I had my original weightlifting coach. Um, and then every summer I would move up or like in my later teen years, I would move up to, uh, you know, Thunder Bay, Ontario and work with a coach up there, Larry Shepard. So my original coach, Chris Polakowski, I would work with Larry Shepard on during the summers. And then even there, there were some assistant coaches I would work with. Then I moved to the training center and Paul Fleshler was the, was the coach there. And then the next coach was Bob Morris. And, um, and, you know, working with all these different coaches and never mind just the coaches, the athletes as well, you know, I'm observing them. Hey, why are you doing this? Why do you change your grip? Why do you like all these different things? And then once I started in CrossFit, you know, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to, uh, like the first person that did individualized programming for me was the owner of the gym here, uh, Jay Jenny. And then, you know, I met Chris Henshaw. I've been down to Cookville, trained with Rich. Um, you know, I've worked with Shane and Tia. I uh, worked with Ben Bergeron and all the people that like, and then outside of that, working on the specialty, you know, I've worked, I've been to sprint camps. I've been to swimming camps. I've uh, worked with powerlifting coaches, strong men, all these people that are specialty workers. And then not even that now look at anyone that's been successful that, that is in my life that I'm friends with. Um, so like you, you mentioned Evan Hafer, he was the Evan that I was referring to so many things in his story we have parallels. Like when I met, when I hung out with Sean white, like we were together for a week and we're, we're talking about our journeys and Sammy was having, was cracking up when Sean and I were telling stories back and forth because she was like, your stories are identical. They are perfect parallels, but he's doing it with snowboarding. I'm doing it with CrossFit. I have a buddy, uh, Joel that he builds monster trucks. We have no similarities in our day-to-day life. But the stories of how he fell into, like, how the fuck do you start building monster trucks? You know, like, but the parallels that we've had in our stories and the the, the obstacles we've had to overcome, I I pulled just as much from Sean White's stories and experiences and and Joel's stories and experiences as I did from Bergeron or working working with different uh, like Henshaw or Chad Wesley for powerlifting advice, you know, and and with so many of them as well you'd sit down, have a conversation and, you know, you're kind of going through different mantras or sayings or how they think they should conduct themselves. And, uh, and I remember specifically like, uh, with Bergeron, Bergeron's big on, you know, mental toughness, adversity, all this stuff. And, and he would sit down as athletes and basically have like an, a 45 minute presentation and, and it would be what, what he thought was really important and things that he thought would help his athletes. And, you know, I was, I would challenge him on a lot of things, you know? Um, and, but then I, I, I realized that, oh, we, we don't have to agree on everything. Like you don't need to, every piece of advice someone gives you, if you don't agree with it, you don't have to take it. And, and so Ben would, you know, kind of give one of these talks and, and, you know, say he had 10 bullet points and I would be sitting there listening and I'd be like, all right, eight of those I don't agree with at all. I think I think they're terrible ideas. I'm going to just boom, wipe them off. And then there's one that I'm like, oh, okay, I agree with that. And then there'd be one that I'm like, oh, I'm going to take that and carry it with me through the rest of my career. And just because I didn't agree with those other eight doesn't mean that 10th one isn't phenomenal and life-changing. 
And that, that's how I conducted myself with all these other people. I'm there. I, you don't have to agree with every single thing that this person does. But if there's one thing that relates to you, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to take that and I'm going to put it in my pocket. And I'm going to apply it. And, and so, you know, I worked with Ben for a couple of years and, you know, we, we parted, parted ways and, you know, we've remained friends. I remember like the same season that, that I ended it with him. I, we were going into regionals. So this is four months later and I'm like, Hey Ben, Hey Ben, I need your help. And he, he's like, yeah, absolutely. What do you need? And, uh, and, and there were things from Ben that, that I carried with me through the rest of my career from Henshaw, from different training, random training partners, you know, like I remember one year before the games, I trained with Cara Saunders for like two weeks. You know, she was in the States and needed a place to train. I was like, yeah, come on up to Vermont. We trained together for two weeks. And there there were things from training with her that I was like, oh, I I like that. I'm going to take that and apply it forward. You know, that's super cool. I love the concept. Take what you need and leave the rest. Yeah. It sounds like that's kind of what you've done in all these different avenues. You mentioned like taking some of these things and applying them to to the rest of your life. And I've heard you tell a story where um, I forgot who it was, but the Buttery Bros put together a, a video with someone and you hit up Marston. You're like, hey, man, like I want to I want to share that and, and save it in my phone. So Sammy and I can watch that every day for motivation. Yep. You, do you recall the story that I'm referring to? It was Brian Callen. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I've actually done those with Marston a couple of times. Um, some of them were uh, uh, things that people said that got me riled up. And and when I was training, I literally, I have a folder on my phone of resentments, of things that people said that pissed me off. And I was like, I use them there for fuel of like the days that I didn't have the motivation to do it for myself. I'm like, I'm going to do it to prove them wrong. But I also have a folder of, you know, positive things, you know, quotes that I saw that I really liked or video clips from another athlete or someone that, you know, has a trait that I want and to keep it fresh. And it was Brian Callen talking about, and you hear it all the time with comedians of like, you know, they bombed on stage for 10 years until they finally cracked the code. And now then they, boom, they became successful. And Brian, Brian was talking about, he was like for, you know, 20 years, He's like, I bombed, I bombed, I bombed. Then I would have one good thing. And then bomb, 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 have one good thing. And he goes, it, it, it was something like, he's like, picture it as like throwing rocks at, at birds. And if I got a bird, I got it stuffed and hung it on the wall. And he goes, over the years, yeah, if you walked into my house, there'd be 25 birds on the wall. And somebody would go, wow, what are all these birds? He goes, I hit them with rocks. And they go, wow, you must be really good at throwing rocks. And he goes, I'm fucking awesome at throwing rocks. And he goes, the person at the end doesn't know that I threw a hundred thousand rocks at birds, but they see the end result. So like basically how you opened up the podcast of five-time CrossFit games, champion author of a book. Uh, you know, I own a couple income properties, uh, you know, launched podium, all these things. And it's like, wow, you must be really good at throwing rocks. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking awesome at throwing rocks all the misses aren't on the wall. You know, there's, there's been plenty more failures than there have ever been successes. And I anticipate that it's going to continue being like that. It's just so cool to hear the parallels. I, I love your storytelling there. It's like, there's so many parallels and you've told a few other stories too. One of my other favorite ones, Matt, is where you're just, you're describing the kid that's getting bullied 
and there's a dime yeah. and a nickel. I think that's a really good nugget for people to take away. Can you share that one? Yeah. So the kid walks home from school every day and a group of bullies come up to him and they're like, they're, the one bully's showing his buddies how dumb this kid is. And he holds out a nickel and a dime in his hand. He goes, hey, which one do you want? Or like, which one's more valuable? And he, he takes the nickel and he goes, oh, I take the nickel because it's bigger. And he turns to his buddy, the bully turns to his buddy and goes, look how dumb this kid is. And they all laugh and he walks away. This happens every day after school. And finally, the, the little kid's dad is like, hey, buddy, you know that the dime is worth more, right? Like they're all picking on you because they think you're dumb. You know, the dime's worth more. And he goes, of course, I know the dime's worth more. But if I tell him that he's he's going to stop giving me a nickel every day. And, uh, and, you know, I looked at it like that through my through my CrossFit career there were certain things that I did. And when I would watch, when I would watch the, the tape back, when I would watch the event to, you know, take notes and see how I could improve, I'd hear the commentators talking about, Oh, that was a costly mistake from Fraser. And, and I'm like, no, that was in my mind. I'm like, no, that was very intentional. I did that absolutely on purpose, but what am I going to do? Explain myself. And then maybe my competitors think that's advantageous and start doing it themselves. Or, do I just allow everyone to think that I'm a dumb lug and I'm just like, I'm just physically gifted and I'm not putting this analysis on these things. And a perfect example, I forget what the workout was, but it was in California and I'm pretty sure we had weight vests on and there, there was rope climbs and we had to start at the one end of the field. We had to run across the field. Everyone had to jump over the, the mats for all the rope climbs, run out the field, up the stairs and start a run. And, and I knew Hey, on this run, I'm going to get super, super sweaty. So I brought a towel with me and everyone else that brought a towel as they jumped over their mat for their rope climbs, they dropped the towel on their rope climb mat and then continued the run. I held on to my towel an extra 50 meters. And once I got to the end of my lane, then I dropped my towel and Sean Woodland or one of the comments, I forget who it was, but they're like, Ooh, Matt made a costly mistake there. He forgot to drop his towel at his rope climb. Um, and he dropped it at the end of the lane. Well, I'm looking at it as no, everyone else now has to run to their rope. Their hands are wet. They have to stop at the base of the rope, dry off all the sweat and then start the rope climbs. I'm looking at as at the, at the end zone. When I come back into the field to play, I can pick up my towel. I can continue running as I'm wiping off. And then when I'm going to get to the rope at the same time as everyone else, and I get to jump right up and go, they all have to stop and wipe off their hands. Well, I hear, I hear hear the announcer talking about, oh, Matt forgot, basically like, oh, Matt's dumb and made a mistake. Well, what am I going to do? Go go tell Cole Sager, hey, man, you should drop you should drop your towel down at the end of the lane so you can shave off five seconds. No, I'm going to let everyone else think I made a mistake and do that. Um, you know, there's there's a ton of ton of times like that. And in my mind, I was like, all right, I need to put my ego aside. I need to let everyone else think that, you know, I'm making mistakes. And some don't get me wrong. Sometimes they absolutely were mistakes, um, but I'm not going to correct other people because maybe maybe my competitors will take something from it and and apply that forward. There's so much attention to detail in your career that people don't know about. And I love you. You've described it as keeping your cards really close to your chest. And now things are starting to come out a little bit. And it, it's fun to hear. So, I mean, this is one of the things that I, I took from Bergeron. And, you know, even though we didn't work together, you know, there was a lot of things we didn't see eye to eye on. But there were a lot of things we did. We did see eye to eye on there. And one of the things that he said that I carried with me through the rest of my career was um, he told me he was like, he was basically like, don't think you're special. 
He goes, every games athlete is doing rowing intervals. Every games athlete is doing a squat cycle. Every athlete's lifting heavy. Every athlete is, you know, collapsing on the ground because they're going so hard. And I was kind of like, what are you getting at here? Like, I thought I thought I was doing my rowing intervals better than everyone else. I thought I was squatting better than everyone else. But then he followed up with, you need to find those 1% gains other places. You need to make sure that your sleep is better than everyone else. You need to make sure... Um, you know, your recovery is better than everyone else and make it marginally better. And all those little tiny 1% will add up to a higher placement. And, uh, and that's how I looked at, you know, my performance of, yeah, maybe, maybe dropping my towel at the end of the lane made zero difference. Maybe it didn't apply to me having a better result in that workout at all. But every games, there was like, 50 things like that that I did that were these tiny, tiny little slivers where there was potential for a better finish. And maybe, maybe a dozen of them actually bumped me up the leaderboard one or two spots. But if you're every, if on 10 events, you bump up one placement or two placements, well, fuck, that adds up to a huge sum by the end of 15 events. And that can, especially once you're, you know, down lower on the leaderboard, a 50 point difference through 15 events, that's the difference between 25th place and 10th place. Never mind going from second place to first place. Most of the time, it's this little tiny margin and like a few little slip ups here and there can be the big, big difference. And so I looked at that as like my sleep hygiene, you know, something as simple as making sure I'm sleeping at the right temperature, going to sleep at the same time every day. You know, one of the examples Bergeron used was, a cycling team and they brought in a new coach and they, they were the worst team on the tour to France. And don't, don't quote me on this. This is kind of um, broad strokes of the story. And they brought it, brought in a new coach and the coach was like, we're going to change nothing with your training. We're going to change everything outside of training. So I'm going to teach you how to wash your hands properly so that maybe you get sick 5% less you know, getting the germs off your hands. I'm going to teach you how to sleep properly. When we travel, we're going to travel with our own blanket and pillow so that maybe your sleep is 10% better. And it was all these other things that they were doing outside of the gym that, yeah, nine out of 10 competitions, I'm not sick anyways. But maybe because I was able to wash my hands better, that 10th time, I'm also not sick. It's such a cool analogy. When I was in high school, I was able to cross paths and spend a couple hours with John Wooden before he passed away. Mm -hmm. And one of the unique stories that is, it's kind of popularized now, but he did revisit it in in my small time with him was when he's teaching Bill Walton and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar how to put on their socks to minimize blisters. But you can take that analogy into so many other things. And you've talked about it with the timing chip being on your left ankle. Yep. And you know how some people, you know, get across the line and think about diving and stuff, but that doesn't matter. What matters is when does that timing chip go across the line? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I remember one year at the games, uh, we, we got out there like a week early and, and you don't have control over what type of mattresses the hotel has. And this mattress was just so curved, like, and I sleep on my stomach, not a great sleeping position, but now my arms are pulled way back and my back hurts. And I'm like, so, so this is an extreme example of I'm not sleeping in my own bed. My sleep, usually if you sleep in a new bed, it's like your sleep is like, say, 10% worse. This, I was like, I'm not sleeping at all. So it's the extreme. And then I, I called the mattress company. I was like, can you please get me a mattress here tomorrow? 
like, and it was performance sleep. And they, they mailed me a mattress. It was there the next day. And then I did that for every competition through the rest of my career. When, before I even got to the hotel, performance sleep would, would mail a mattress so that my mattress at home and my mattress at the competition were identical. That's super cool. Control the controllable. And also, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And so I think that's that's cool that you had had the willingness to ask. Yep. And uh, yeah, and you, you look at the grand scheme of things of the things that you have control over in the day. Oof, it's not many things, um, you know, like even even sleep. It's like you can try to push it in the right direction. But if your body's just restless, nothing you can do, you know, but making sure that, you know, my windows are blacked out. I have the right blankets. I have the right pillow. I have the right mattress. The room is set to the right temperature. You know, all these little things that. Did it make a difference? Who knows? But there's not going to be a what if. Like mm-hmm. I had bad sleep and then I lost. And it's like, man, if I had better sleep, would it have been a different result? I'm not leaving anything up to what if. I'm I'm yeah, for sure. Making the investment in every game's getting a mattress shipped out of the hotel. And and I remember it was funny, like one competitor, this is years later, like 2019, 2020, something like that. And performance sleep started hitting up other athletes. Hey, do you want one of our mattresses for your bed? And the one athlete was like, I felt like such a diva just getting this mattress and I'm only going to sleep on it for five days. Like, who do I think I am? And she was joking about it. And, uh, and I, I spoke up, I was like, Oh, I've been doing that for six years. Like, I was like, dude, it helps <laughs> like get, this is the time that you need the best sleep. And, uh, yeah, it's those little things that didn't make a difference. Who knows? But I'm not leaving it up to what if I'm not taking that gamble. Yeah, for sure. One of those other little what ifs and you're famous for talking about it, is the rubber band theory. Will you talk about that a little bit? That's a good one. Oh, it's my favorite. My favorite. Um, Yeah, so, you know, if you're doing a run with a mass group, and I'm sure so many people listening to this will be able to relate, you know, especially like any, any CrossFit workout, any workout where you're competing with a group of people. But if you're in first place and the person in second place is right on your heels, it's as if there's a rubber band connecting the two of you. And, you know, if there's, say, 40 people, um, all 38 are way back there, all they're thinking is just stay with this person, stay with this person and staying close. And it's as if you have a rubber band and you're pulling them along. But then as soon as you break that rubber band, you put enough separation between you and the person in second place that they're no longer thinking, just stay behind him, just stay behind him. They're thinking, just stay in front of the pack, just stay in front of the pack. And, you know, I would do this when when I was training, when I was competing. And uh, the one that, you know, it worked out beautifully. um, And I think it was the most obvious one was the trail run in 2016. And Josh and I, I think we, I think we both, knew that the likelihood that there would be a bottleneck on this run um, was pretty high. And so we, we went out hot and because we didn't want to get caught in the mass of, you know, 80 people in a mass start. And then was this, was this bridges? Yeah. Josh bridges. Oh, very and, cool. And you know, phenomenal runner has lungs like a horse. He can just go, go, go. And so for most of the race, I stayed right on his heels. I let, I let him navigate the paths. I let him set the pace. I let him do most of the work but I knew I want to win this workout. And, uh, and so I was waiting for, you know, a really, really tough point where a really steep incline. And I was looking for a moment where there would be a blind spot. And, and so when I could, so a spot that I could pass him and then sprint 
to break that rubber band immediately so that he's not thinking, okay, Matt passed me. Let me jump on his heels and, and have him pace. And, and so the perfect place to do this is in a blind spot. So you pass them and then you're out of their field of vision for, you know, 10, 15 seconds. And then in that 10, 15 seconds, you sprint as hard as you can. And then as soon as they come into the field of view, you throttle back so that as soon as they see where you are, they go, Oh, I can't catch him. He's gone. So I'll just focus on staying ahead of everyone else. And I remember I, I did it. Um, I forget what year it was, but it was the first year that we had cuts in the games. And it, so we had the, it was run rope climbs and snatches. And I knew it was like Velner Sager and I, I think we're all like in the mix with each other. And, and I knew like, all right, in this last round or third round, whatever round it was, I was like, I'm going to break the rubber band in this round. And so as soon as I went for the run, I trotted out of, out of the stadium casually. And then as soon as I turned the corner, I pinned it and I'm running looking over my shoulder, running, looking over my shoulder, waiting for them to come to join me on the run. And as soon as I saw them, I throttled back and act like that. This is the pace I've been running the whole time. So that they're no longer thinking like, oh, he's only 30 meters ahead of me. I can push the pace and catch up to him. I want them to think of like, oh, he's gone. I'm not chasing him anymore. I'm focused on staying in front of the people behind me. Um, and, you know, is that the reason that I won the work? Who knows? I don't know. Like we never ran the, si the simulation the other way. So I don't have a definitive answer. But I know I've been in the situation where I was the person in second place and the person had a they broke the rubber band. My first games, the triple three, it was like 3000 meter row, 300 double unders, then like a three kilometer run or a three mile run, whatever it was. And I was right next to Panchak in the final lap. We're going around the last corner, uh, going to the finish line. And Scott Panchak found a gear that I didn't know existed. And he sprinted and, and I went, I started speeding up. And as soon as I realized, Nope, I'm not catching him. I was like, well, why chase them? I'm not catching them and there's no one behind me. So I'll just throttle right back, stay ahead of the group behind me. And so I've, I've been on both ends of it. And I know when it happened to me in 2014, it worked. Yeah, for sure. There's a couple of things that come to mind here. Josh is a good friend. He's trained with us a little bit at Invictus. And he's talked about this too with, with barbell cycling. And, you know, the moment he hears somebody drop the bar, he wants to hammer the next five reps. So that way that athlete can hear the tink. Tink, yep. and kind of the audible cue of like, hey, I'm not tired. Um, and you can apply that to talking too. Like if we're exhausted in a workout and I'm like, hey, Matt, you got this. You're like, how is this guy talking right now? <laughs> I remember uh, Bill Henniger of all people. I remember him talking to somebody and, and he just said the line of like, as soon as you stop to get chalk, you already lost. And then like Bill Henniger is not a competitor. He owns Rogue, you know, but. Um, mm -hmm. For whatever reason, that line stuck with me. And I remember the next competition I did was the East Coast Championships in 2014 or 2015, one of those years. And we were doing Amanda. or I, Yeah, Amanda's ring muscle-ups and squat snatches, right? 975. And I'm, I'm in the lane right next to Noah Olson. And I don't know, especially at the time, if there was a better workout for Noah. And we're going back for our last set of five ring muscle-ups. And we're both trotting back shoulder to shoulder and i remember as soon as he got to his rings he bent over to get shock and i went boom you lost and i was like i don't care if i'm supposed to stop and get shock i'm going to jump up and try to sprint while he's resting so that he just 
doesn't have any hope, you know, um, something like that. Uh, yeah. Same thing with, you know, barbell cycling, same thing. Oh, actually same person, no Olsen, you know, uh, 2019 games. He came, finished off, got off the rings before anyone else. He gets there and starts snatching. And I was like, all right, as soon as I get to that bar, I'm going to rip a set of five on broken and just let him know like, Hey man, I still got some in the tank. Let's go. Um, yeah, you know, there, there's those mental games, you know, whether they're intentional or just, you know, you know, uh, you know, you're not even conscious that you're doing them, but yeah, they're there. It's the Mamba mentality. I know Kobe had that story where uh, Jay Williams tells it when he's fresh out of Duke. And I think he was with Chicago Bulls at the time and they're showing up to play the Lakers. And Kobe's there like two hours before, full sweat before the game. And, you know, Jay shows up to get his pregame ritual going. And the whole time, Jay's like, is this guy, is this guy going to stop? And is this going to stop? And after about an hour or so, Jay stops and, you know, towels off. He's getting hydrated because it's before a game. And Kobe just kept going. And years later, they revisited the conversation. And Kobe was like, yeah, I kept going because I wanted you to know that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this and then I'm going to drop 40 on you in the game as well. And it, it just relates so well to some of the stories that you're relaying. I actually have a story identical to that. So um, when I first came into the CrossFit space, I was at Champlain Valley CrossFit. And and all I ever kept hearing was CrossFit New England, CrossFit New England. Like they're the mecca of CrossFit in the Northeast. And, and I mean, even worldwide, like they were like dominant when it came to the affiliates. They always had this roster of individuals. And, uh, but I didn't, I didn't know who they were, what they were, where they, and nothing. I knew nothing about them. And uh, so Champlain Valley's always had like a back room. So like, if drop-ins want to come in, they were doing their own programming or if the members wanted to do uh, programming different than the class, they had a space where they weren't interrupting the class. And so there were a couple new faces in the back, in the back room. And I remember asking someone like, Hey, who, who are those guys? You know, they looked, they were jacked, they were fit and uh, they looked like they knew what they were doing. And they're like, Oh, those couple guys, they're in town from CrossFit New England. And I went, Oh, okay, good. <laughs> and and the class workout that day started with um with working up to a heavy triple in the back squat and, you know i'm i'm still base, I'm, I'm basically still a weightlifter i'm still so new to the space so you know i'm wearing i'm dressed like a weightlifter you know heavy thick sweatpants big ugly shirt that's tucked into my sweatpants and like i look like a dork and <laughs> and you know un, unlaced weightlifting shoes i'm i'm trying to act as casual as possible and I know the double doors that are, you know, closed, but this bit of a gap and I can see they're working out right in line with that gap. And so I was like, I want, like, I, I think I was going to regionals that year and I was like, I want word to get to CrossFit New England that somebody new is here and I'm going to fucking win. And so <laughs> I'm acting nonchalant through my whole workout, all this stuff. And, uh, and I did a, a back squat triple at 475. And then when I hit the top in one motion, hit the top, of my last squat popped it over my head, over the front, and then walked away nonchalant. And like, <laughs> I made sure to have my weight belt underneath, underneath my t-shirt. I had my knee sleeves underneath my sweatpants. So that it looked like, and then I had my weightlifting shoes on lay. So it looked casual as fuck. And then I just well tossed played. it over my head and walked away. No, like it was a huge PR for me, but I just walked away. No smile on my face, no nothing. And and then I never addressed those guys. I never talked to them, nothing. And, uh, 
and it was hilarious. It came full circle, you know, probably three years later. Um, and then I lived with one of the guys for a little while, Jeff Leard. I lived in his house for, for a month and, uh, and we were talking about like the first time we met or whatever it was. And Jeff goes, dude, he goes, you know, the actual first time that I saw you, he was like, he was like, Max and I were in the back room of Champlain Valley. We saw you hit this stupid weight, this back squat PR, the bar is just oscillating like crazy. And then he's like, you dumped it over your head, nonchalant, walked away. And I was like, oh yeah. I was like, I remember that day. And I was like, I wanted to send a message to all the competitors at CrossFit New England that I was winning regionals. And they, they said, they're like, bro, they're like, as soon as you dump that weight, he's like, we're in the back through the crack of the door trying to count how much weight's on the bar. And he's like, we were texting everyone at CrossFit New England. I'm like, <laughs> dude, there's this kid here that just did this. And I only weighed 170 pounds at the time as well. And, uh, and he was like, oh, we text everyone about that. And I was like, good. It worked. Cool. <laughs> That's so cool, man. It just shows that communication is so nonverbal, that there is this true animalistic way of subconsciously communicating via action and body language that comes with the art of sport and coaching, man. Oh, man, I miss, I miss those days. Those were those were like the golden memories, like when coming up and figuring shit out and just competing every other weekend. Oh, those times are so much fun. And now you get to segue those those memories in, into your coaching capacity. And uh, you've done an amazing job, you know, shifting gears, understanding which buttons to push with Mal and Jason Hopper. And occasionally when when Maderos and his crew come over to play, you know, what, what's it been like for you, you know, shifting gears uh, knowing that you still have it in the tank to demo or to test certain things, you know, what's it like, you know, navigating your coaching career so far? You know, so one, one thing, the point that you kind of touched on there of like, I'm still capable, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, right now it's like my training is drastically different, um, than what it was, but like, there's still workouts that I'll, I'll do. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's right on par with what I was capable of. Uh, but there's also things that I've drastically throttled back on that I'm like, no, I've, I did that for 20 years. I don't want to, I don't want to max out my snatch anymore. You know, I'm, I'm in the gym for health and fitness now. Um, but it was very important that like, I didn't retire because I had to, like, I was still getting better. I was still getting PRs. It was just like mentally, I was like, I'm ready for something new. Um, and I, I came in, I did, did what I wanted to do in the sport. And then I was like, I'm content walking away. But um, you know, shifting the gears into the coaching role, whether it's, you know, actually coaching an athlete full time or just, you know, being a consultant for a weekend. So like with Justin Medeiros, you know, that gets brought up a lot and I feel guilty every time that it gets said that like, Oh, I coach Justin, he was here. He came here for, you know, a week one time. And then he's been back a couple other times. I remember one of them, he was like, he was coming in for a couple days and he was like, Hey man, is it, is it okay if I don't train while I'm there? I was like, yeah, absolutely. You can do what you can do whatever you want. Like, but why are you coming? He's like, oh, I just want to come pick your brain about things. I was like, oh, sure. It's, that's very enjoyable for me. So I always I always feel guilty when it when it gets brought up of like, oh, you have coach Justin. I was like, ah, he came up for like five days and you know, I gave him my thoughts and stuff. Yeah, for sure. We can give a huge shout out to Adam too, because Adam is badass. Every year I was at the games, he was with his team, and they were usually in like one of the lanes close to us. 
And he was like mentoring me as like the young rookie at the games. And he's on a whole other team. Like he is just so awesome and so well-versed as a coach and human. One of the wildest things, and I think it doesn't get said enough in in the space. And, and I mean, not even just in CrossFit, but like any authority figure, coach, anything. The words, I don't know, are not a sign of weakness. And I think this is a huge contributing factor of why Justin is thriving is because when Adam doesn't know, he doesn't pretend and make up some bullshit answer. He says, I don't know, but let me go find you the answer. Let me find you the person that's the expert. So Adam's not, I mean, last time I I spoke to them and was around them, Adam wasn't his only coach. He has a powerlifting coach or a strength coach, Jesse, that, that Adam was like, Hey, I'm not the best at this. Let me go find you the best. And so, you know, instances like that where um, for myself, I'm not kidding myself thinking that I have the answer to everything. I have a lot of experience. I have a lot of life lessons. I've, I've worked with a lot, of, but there's still things that I'm like, no, I'm not the best at this. But I think that's a powerful thing for a coach is not just, uh, you know, having the praise of like, I'm your exclusive coach, but like, hey, if I don't know, let me go find you. Like that can be my job. Let that you keep training, I'll go find the answer and then I'll bring it back to you. Um, but, you know, so whether it's athletes coming up for a weekend, for a week, uh, whether they want to be an HWPO athlete and work with me exclusively, or if they just want to come in for a weekend for a fun time and then go home and go back to their own thing. You know, like we had um, Dallin Pepper and Daniel Brandon up here a couple of weeks ago. And, and, you know, obviously like the initial thing that gets I was like, oh, they're HWP. I'm like, no, no, no. They're here. They're they're friends. They're they're just in town to throw down. Justin Kotler came up. I'm like, no, I'm not trying to like steal this athlete. I'm like, no, let's like maybe there's some stuff that you do that that we like. Maybe there's some stuff that we do in our training that you want to take home and continue on. You know, Justin and I are picking picking each other's brains of not even just coaching, but how do you talk to your athletes, um, you know, when things aren't going well, when they are going well, how do you bring up awkward conversation? Like all these things on the competition floor, off the competition floor, we're just using each other as resources. And, and then it can be reassurance too of the, you know, like I'm, I'm like, Hey, like I'm, I'm coaching this young athlete. Justin's been in, in this situation before. I'm like, Hey, how'd you deal with this situation? And he's helping me out with like, Hey, next time this comes up, maybe try this. I'm like, Oh, that's great. You know, and that's cool. It just breeds an environment of always learning and collaboration with one another and the continual sharing of knowledge, which keeps the sport and the coaching space innovating and evolving. If everybody just like hides what they know, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of a boring, boring situation. Yeah, I think I think to a certain extent, you know, if you're coaching an athlete, it's like you don't want to coach up their competitors like to beat them. But there can be some things that they can take home and apply. Um, but I remember my, my dad talked about it all the time. So anyone doesn't know, like both my parents were Olympians. They they were a pairs in freestyle figure skating, went to the 76 Olympics. But their coach, when they turned pro, um, would, would require them to go skate at a different rink or work with a different coach or different competitors for one month out of the year. And it was like beginning of the season – go, go to Colorado and skate with that person for a month. Um, and it was a, a few, few points. And, and I'm, I'm trying to do this now of like with, with my other encouraging, I'm like, yeah, go, go to that gym, train for a weekend, go here, go train with your friends. You know, not only is it a change of scenery, but then also I want to make sure that, that I am the best fit 
for the athlete. Like if they go there and they're like, I like that coach more. I like the programming more. I like the environment more. Well, I don't want them feeling like they owe me something and sticking around, even though it's not the best situation for them. So one, it makes sure that I'm providing the best service possible for these athletes and doing what I think is the best thing um, so that they want to come back. But then two, go experience how other athletes train, go experience how other coaches coach, go experience a new facility. And then if you decide that, no, I can't wait to get back to Vermont. I can't wait to be back in, in my home gym. But then like, Hey, they did this one thing down there that I really liked. They had this one piece of equipment over there that I really liked. Can we bring it here? And always trying to strive to get, get things better. You know, it's, it's always progress, not perfection. We're striving to progress and get better every single day, knowing that we're never, ever going to reach perfection. Um, but just trying to make it as, as good as possible. For sure. I love the open communication there too. Always striving to, to find the best fit for the athlete and not selfishly just thinking, Oh, that's my athlete. You know, it's, it's a really mature way to approach the coaching space, which is really cool. And I think it breeds more trust because you're inevitably trying to do the right thing and you're, you're co-piloting the journey together. It seems like, well, I mean, you want to make sure that, that you guys get along like coach and athlete, you're going to spend a lot of time together and, and it's in a position of trust and authority where they're telling you this path and you want to make sure you, you trust them blindly so that if the situation calls for, you need to do this because like, and no explanation, like if, if the situation doesn't call for room to explain, well, you want to be able to have that trust that you want to be able, you don't want to be questioning, ah, is this actually the right move? Um, and just because, you know, it's not the right fit doesn't mean it's a bad situation. It doesn't mean that you need to now hate that person or write that person off. You know, like I remember, uh, like I worked with Ben for Ben Bergeron for a couple of years. Love the guy. I've every time we see each other now, it's basically like if we see each other at a competition, we basically need to set aside an hour because we're going to we're just going to shoot the shit, catch up, see how the family's doing, competitors, everything. But like like when we stopped that coach athlete relationship, it wasn't a bad thing. You know, it's not that, you know, you hear Tupac of like, you know, when a friendship ends doesn't mean I, I hope I wish bad on you. Like, I, I still hope you do well. I just don't want it to be with me. And, and it was the exact same thing with Ben. And, you know, he, even after we ended that relationship, I remember calling him and I was, it was like a week or two before regionals. I was like, Ben, I, I've never tapered for a competition on my own. I've always just followed your programming. Like, how do I do this? And he was like, grab a notebook and grab a calendar. Let's sit down and go through this. And he had nothing to gain from helping me, but he still did. Um, and so, you know, if coach and athlete, like if the relationship just doesn't work, it's like, I'm not wishing bad on a person. I'm not hoping that they not successful, but it's just like, no, we're just not a right fit. And especially if you're spending eight hours a day with somebody, you probably want to make sure that you guys get along. Yeah, for sure, man. It's, it's so cool to see your emotional maturity within the space and how you're applying it to so many different elements of, of growth and development especially around this ever-changing landscape within CrossFit. There was changes in the leadership. Then we saw the the Dave Castro saga. Now he's kind of back with, with an affiliate role and kind of overseeing and kind of helping collaborate with the leadership team. And now Adrian Bosman is in charge of, of program design. 
What are your thoughts, you know, now being on the coaching side of things with the changes of, of landscape within CrossFit leadership? Oh man. Um, I mean, in the way, in the way that, you know, I'm programming and, you know, setting up training for the athletes, nothing's really changed. You know, it's, it's almost, it would almost be strange. I think at this point, if two seasons were identical, you know, if the qualifying procedures, the scoring system cuts, no cuts, whatever it is, you know, every, every single year that I competed, there was a different set of rules. There was a different qualifying procedure. There was a different scoring system. There was uh, different regionals. Every single year I competed, something changed. And that's wild to think about. If you try to compare that to any other professional sport, if like if the NFL was just like, all right, this year, this is how you get to the Super Bowl. If the NBA was, hey, this year, it's single elimination the whole way through. And you're like, what? Like, no, it's the same every year. You want to be able to prep for the same thing. So when it comes to who's the CEO at CrossFit, that doesn't dictate how we train. When it comes to who's programming for CrossFit, that doesn't change. It's like, no, we're going to try to get as fit as possible. We're just going to try to, you know, be as experienced and as knowledgeable as possible. So even if something comes up that we never saw coming, we can adapt on the fly. Um, you know, trying to just be as fit as possible and ready for any and every situation that could come up and, and then hit the ground running. Totally, man. It's cool to see how, how you navigated all those changes and how you're really just focused on, on the craft and trying to integrate the best program design for your athletes and something that's, that's been pretty prominent in, in at least what I've seen from your program design is huge contribution within intervals on machines, low impact and a wide variety of you know, aerobic endurance and, and training within that capacity, but then also a huge implementation of accessory work. And sometimes within the CrossFit mindset, it's like, Metcon, 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 I got to do CrossFit this, CrossFit <laughs> that, 21, 15, 9. And you really like t- combined a little bit more of a strength and conditioning approach to preserve the integrity of, of muscle quality, but also, you know, long-term benefits for the athlete. So it's not just impact all the time. Yeah, you know, through, through my, through my career, you know, I, you know, I came from weightlifting. Um, and so, you know, I had that experience of watching people that just trained, you know, as simple as like without warmups and yeah, I, after one training session, are you going to notice the difference? Probably not if you have a warm up or not. Um, but then after the end of that week, the end of that month, the end of that year, it's like it, it's those little things that add up and compound. And so, you know, that, that's, what I did, you know, I, I started CrossFit when I was 20, 23, I think. So, you know, like I, I already had high mileage. I had already done a 10 year weightlifting career. And so when I came into the sport and like, I trained, I trained like everyone else showed me, they trained for years and it was just high volume Metcon, Metcon, Metcon. Um, and, and I realized like when I finished the sport, what do I want? And I was like, I don't want any more surgeries. I don't want to walk with a limp. I don't want to have an achy back. I don't want to blow out my elbow, all these things. And so it's like, all right, you know, and the easy way, the easy way of stating it is like, I was trying to be the laziest competitor possible. 
And it's like, how can I get to the same end goal without with doing as little as possible and having the least toll on my body? And so very simple stuff of just refining in my rowing technique so that my elbows don't hurt after doing 25,000 meters every week, you know, um, you know, stuff like that or refining in my barbell cycling so that it's not crashing on me every rep. I'm meeting at its highest point and riding it down, but always trying to find the lowest impact version of something, uh, to work on it. You know, like the, uh, double unders, I was my grip, my grip endurance wasn't good. And on big, big sets like 300 to 500, uh, double unders, my grip would blow out. And so I was like, well, if I want to practice 500 double unders every day or every other day, my Achilles and my calves are going to be thrashed and that's going to impact everything else. So I took jump rope handle, cut the cable. So I had like six inches and I, uh, drilled a hole in a golf ball, fastened it on there. And so I could literally just sit and, and do the jump rope motion. Oh, interesting. And that's so I'm cool. like, the part that I want to work on is my palm, my thumb pad. I want to create that endurance. So what's the point of putting all that mileage and all that impact on my ankles, calves, and Achilles when this is this is what I'm trying to work on? And so then I was able to do equivalent to 500 or 1,000 double-unders every single day without blowing out my calves. And doing that type of stuff of like, all right, you know, I need to get better at my pull-ups. Everyone thinks I need to get better at my pull-ups. And so they do pull-ups every other day. I'm like, all right, well, let's take a step back. If you do a set of, say, 50 unbroken chest bar when you come down, what's your limiting factor? Is it is it your actual pulling strength? Most likely not. That's not where people blow up. Most of the time, it's their grip. And so it's like, all right, well, let me work on this grip strength uh, separately so I'm not putting all this mileage on my elbows, on my shoulders, and all these other parts. Let me just exclusively work on static holds. You know, simple things like that, breaking it down. Um and I just did that with everything. You're like a programming baker where you take the ingredients at their minimal viable dose and then you try to incorporate those elements within your day-to-day. Your, in, your insight is magic. The, the perfect example is somebody saying like, hey, I need, to get, I'm, I need to get better at ring muscle-ups. How do I get better at ring muscle-ups? And it's like, well, what part do you struggle with? You know, is it your, is it the technique? Is it the timing? Is it your body positioning? And then even on the muscular side, does your grip blow up from, from because you're dropping too quickly and it's like too much, uh, strain on your grip when, when you catch, when you turn over as you're pressing out, is it your triceps that are weak or is it your chest that's weak? You know, you see it a lot of times, um, with people that have weaker upper bodies, they'll catch. And then as soon as they press out, their chest shoots up. And then they press out because they don't have enough chest and they're using all triceps. Well, your tricep is such a small muscle relative to your chest that the endurance isn't going to be as good. But for some reason, bench pressing isn't popular in CrossFit. So everyone's pecs are, you know, the weakest point. And so it's looking at like, all right, you want to get better at ring muscle ups? Well, what part is your limiting factor? You can do ring muscle ups till you're blue in the face. But if you're always just hitting that one bottleneck, you're putting all that mileage on every other part. So it's like, let's break down the movement, find what the bottleneck is, find what the weak point is, and then let's solve for that. And then and then once that's no longer your bottleneck, well, now you have a new bottleneck somewhere. And it's always trying to just raise the peaks and valleys. Um, yeah, I, I know muscle, but that's just like the one that 
comes up so often. It's the one that people always want to get better at. Yeah, for sure. It's the one that provides people the most validation. And it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned like the bottlenecks, because if you always do what you've always done, you'll always be what you've always been. You got to mm-hmm. find that that loophole to try to improve at that specific skill. And sometimes that's breaking it down. And dude, you've given so much insight today. So I just wanted to take a moment to really thank you, Matt. Like your time, your energy, your tricks of the trade, like they're so freaking cool. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. We're going to get you out to head to a training session, man. I really (laughs) appreciate you sharing and storytelling with us today. Um, You know, we got the CrossFit Games coming up in a couple weeks, and I look forward to crossing paths with you and the HWPO crew. Absolutely. Thank you once again, buddy. And for those of you listening, if you enjoyed my conversation with Matt Frazier, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. And as always, stay on the hunt for who have not yet become. Are you over 35 and in need of a solid training program? Are you looking to improve your athleticism and keep up with the younger athletes in your CrossFit gym? Then look no further than our Invictus Masters program. This program places year-round emphasis on mobility and stability exercises with movements that we have seen directly benefit our Masters athletes. Our program is led by Nicole DeHart and offers a training program designed specifically for master's athletes who are looking to compete at a higher level in the sport of CrossFit. Some of our top master's athletes in the world train with us, including CrossFit Games champion Kevin Kester, Matt Beals, and Pat Sprague. You can learn more about their stories and the Invictus Master's program by checking out their episodes right here on the Invictus Mindset Podcast. If you'd like more information about the current training cycle or to join the Invictus Masters program, please email Nicole at InvictusAthlete.com. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-E at InvictusAthlete.com. Breathing, movement, circulation, digestion. What do all these body functions have in common? Our muscles. There are over 600 muscles in the human body that are responsible for supporting our daily activities. That's why your muscle health is incredibly important. On this podcast, I always discuss seeking our peak expression and striving to maximize our human potential. And so I try to share with you the top products that I find on the market. My HMB is a clinically proven ingredient that has been shown to help build and maintain lean muscle mass increase strength, improve recovery, and enhance body composition. Learn more about your muscle health at myhmb.com slash Invictus. Once again, that's myhmb.com slash Invictus. Enhance your muscle health and enhance your life.